Hello and welcome to the PCRS podcast series. In this series, we'll be bringing you experts on a number of respiratory related topics. The podcast has been produced to update you and to give you food for thought about how you deliver your respiratory services. Hello, I'm Steve Holmes, GP in Somerset, and I'm joined today great privilege to have the UK Inhaler Group Educational Lead, Jane Scullion, with me. Can you introduce yourself, Jane? Hi, Steve. Thank you for that big build-up. Um, commonly just known as Jane Scullion, and I know I've spent time with all of you guys teaching inhaler technique. It's just that the UK Inhaler Group is, is passionate, as most societies are, about getting inhaler technique right and getting inhalers up there as the treatments that help people with asthma and with COPD. I know that will resonate with many of the PCRS members. In fact, I'd be surprised and please um, email in if you're one of those who thinks that in using inhalers, complete waste of time. It doesn't matter how you do it. It'll always work. That would be a controversial thing. But I do believe that most of our membership is very keen on trying to promote effective inhaler use. But it's a challenge, isn't it? I, I had a look on Right Breathe today, 133 different inhalers and devices. I can't offer that to every single patient. I'd be there for two weeks. How do I get around all that? I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think we have our local guidance on which inhalers we might have on formulary, and I think that guides us to a large extent. I know where I work, it's a very restricted formulary. So we have a PMDI and a dry powder or a soft mist inhaler. That's our alternatives. We don't have 133 or 140, probably next week, options to choose. So I think we as healthcare professionals have those sort of constraints, but we also have our own beliefs and our own perceptions about what we think is right for people. So I think we lead it subconsciously. You're, you're, I think you're right. We're actually different to, to Leicester. So in Somerset, every single new device and inhaler is put onto the formulary. And a lot of the representatives come around and say, and we're on the formulary. And it's very, they look very disappointed when we have to say, but every single inhaler is on the formulary in Somerset. What you want to be doing is using the ones that we're using most frequently. Yeah, our, our reps always get disappointed because they're not on the formulary at all. So we have a lot of discussions about why aren't we on the formulary. And formulary decisions take a long time um, in the area I work. They don't change rapidly. And it's probably worthwhile just mentioning a little bit about the green agenda. There's been a lot of debate, and I'm, we're covering that, this in other podcasts, but discussion about PMDIs versus DPIs. What do you think? I don't think there's anything like the perfect inhaler. And I think there's only the inhaler that a person can and will use and uses correctly. So I'm, I'm not committed to either DPIs, PMDIs, or the SMIs. I want to get the right medication for the right person down into where it's going to do its job. I, I agree strongly with that. I think the other thing I would say is that we have a lot of inhalers that are prescribed that are never used, and we have a lot of overuse of certain types of inhalers that we could do a lot better with. Let's get care better to make a difference with this as well, because then we're not actually using the inhaler in the first place if it's not needed. Um, inhaler technique. I said rather controversially 
that over the last two years, we haven't really been checking inhaler technique to any great extent face-to-face, certainly in primary care. And I, I suspect because a lot of the reviews have been by telephone in specialist care as well the same applying there and we've managed to reduce by not checking inhaler technique admissions by 30 to 40 percent that's incredible perhaps we should never check inhaler techniques again oh we should perhaps do a controlled trial on it steve and i think that's quite controversial and i think there's lots of issues behind it one of the things we did see was a big take-up in, in, of inhalers, so people who hadn't routinely collected it and probably hadn't routinely used it suddenly became conscious that they were at risk because they'd got an underlying respiratory disease. So I think maybe, that's my hope, that they actually started taking the medication and started to feel better because their symptoms had dissipated. But there's all the other things, you know, they weren't going out, they were shielding, they were careful. They weren't exposed to the viral illnesses, which can trigger the asthma. So, so I, I don't think we know the whole answer. So I think we should probably still check it. I'd, I'd agree with you. And I think I, I said that deliberately because you can pick out data and you can try and make associations, but they don't always actually mean what they say. And I, and I guess that's one of them. One of the things I thought about was, though, a lot of people have been sent links to the Asthma UK website or Right Breathe to look at inhaler technique and check that through. And perhaps that's something that we should routinize in practice so that patients can don't go and do that themselves when they want to have a quick check to make sure they're using their inhaler properly. Yeah, and we've seen a rise in apps as well, haven't we? You know, asthma apps that, that actually they can identify which inhalers they've got, watch their videos lots of different ideas out there but yes we, they have to be quality assured don't they and there's a lot of emphasis on the right image um you know i twitter especially you know every picture you see of, of a child with asthma they've not got a spacer they've not got the right technique it's always a blue one again which gives the wrong impression so you know we don't get it right in the media we don't get it right in people's minds and, and i think that's an issue as well it's always said in asthma and COPD reviews, we should review the inhaler technique every time. I wonder how many people listening in can put their, cross their heart, whatever method they wish to use and say, I do this every single time on every patient I see. Yeah, I mean, do you, Steve, put you on the spot? I don't need to if I've taught them before. <laughs> um, well, actually, no, I've, I, yes, I, I do try to. I don't always get the time. I have to be practical about the time I've got available. And I can think of a few patients where I've said, there's a few things you need to perhaps develop with your inhaler technique. Who taught you last time? And they said, you did. <laughs> and I, that makes me reevaluate how effective my teaching of that is in that sort of environment. But it, but it is that thought about how can we actually get the patient consistently using the device right to optimise their symptoms and minimise the amount of medication they need. Yeah, I think you do yourself a disservice. And I I think that's because sometimes we teach technique that isn't natural to a person. So as soon as they go out, doesn't matter how good your teaching is, they will revert to type. And you and I have always debated, you know, when the airways are constricted during an asthma attack or an exacerbation or, or whatever, it's a different airway. It needs a different inhalation technique because it's constricted so we don't always think about those issues and you know you you can I mean we debate all the time these switch programs 
they're not like for like or whatever. And if it's an unnatural technique for the person, it's not their natural way of breathing, they will go out and they will change the technique. And it doesn't matter how many times you teach them. So how can we pick up quickly their natural technique for breathing? Well, I, I always think you can just ask them to take a slow and steady breath in or a quick and deep breath in and see which feels more natural to them. You know, what would you naturally do? Or you can give them something and just say, how would you breathe in for this? And then follow that because we're just following what they can do naturally. Yeah. And that, and that makes a lot of sense. Use of the in-check device. Um, I don't routinely use it. I think it, you know, it, it has a place for those people who want to check inspiratory flow rate, but it doesn't check technique because it doesn't check actuation, shaking, taking cap. So it's not the whole answer to it. You can't just say that that's the right inspiratory flow rate. And you, you have to think about all the different resistance and all the, all your 130 inhalers on your formulary. Gosh. Yeah. You've forgotten about three. It's 133, sadly. Um, but no, I think the other thing I was thinking through with that was, so with these, with the um, in-check device, I still remember about 15 years ago saying, the reason I'm not using it particularly commonly is it's not in any of the um, respiratory guidelines, COPD, um, asthma guidelines, BTS sign, GINA, gold, etc. 15 years on, do you think there's a lot more evidence now we have to show the benefits and outcomes when people start using an in-check device routinely? I don't know that we actually have an awful lot of evidence that it, that it makes a difference. Um, I'm, I'm prepared to be shot down in flames on that. But I, I think that the, you know, the, the newer technology, the, the, the smart technology that can go into a person's, uh, you know, where you can attach it to your inhaler and it doesn't just tell you about inspiratory flow rate, but it tells you about deposition that are coming onto the market. I think they've probably got huge potential but again, cost, you know, there are cost constraints with everything we do. So for, for a lot of people with asthma, a lot of people with COPD, we do get it right. We, we tend to focus on the ones that we tend to focus on because that's what we do. And we berate ourselves that we don't always get it right. A lot of the people you've taught once will be quite happy and have a good technique because that's the sort of people they are. So we've got to remember we're dealing with people and we deal with problems. And that made me think with the new devices coming through about things like electric toothbrushes that analyze where you've um, brushed your teeth and can tell you which areas you don't concentrate on particularly positively. And again, a lot of people would say that's a really good idea. I would like that because that will help me to be better. The same could be true for quite a few people with inhaler devices if they had something available to help them to do that better. But I guess if it was something that monitored the amount of chocolate or cake that people eat, um, and then ruthlessly told you how much they might be less convinced. Yeah, no, my, my friend I was, I was walking with her the other day, and she, and she said she'd got a, a new electric toothbrush, and she'd got an app on her phone, and I'm like, what is the point? What, what, is, what does it do? But, yeah, you're right, we've all downloaded apps, and, and you know, the ones that beep at 8 o'clock in the morning when you're having a lie-in to tell you you've forgotten to take any medication or to do a, a peak flow, they're not going to stay on your phone for long. Brilliant. What about switching? We, you touched on that br very briefly a little earlier. Um, there's a lot of controversy about it, isn't there? There was a paper seeming to suggest that you actually got better outcomes by switching people by just a letter published in, in Thorax about a year or two ago. 
but come on, this can't be a sensible way forward. No, it sort of it sort of raises the hackles, uh, my hackles especially, because I don't think it's about. I don't think anything should be incentivized to be changed for whatever reason. I think that we have a duty to give the what is best for the person in front of us, and that could be anything. You know, it. it, it I, I don't think just switching somebody, risking destabilizing them, especially by a, a letter, works. You and I work with people, people listening to this work with, work with people who come in and say, I've got this. I don't know why I've got it. Can I have what I had before? So I think you can change. And that's another name for switch. And we've debated the semantics behind the, the actual term switch. You can change a person's inhaler with their consent if it's going to be better for them or they want to try it. I don't think we should just make decisions on somebody else's behalf and change things. I, th I think it is challenging. I always remember very early on in practice, finding out that a small white tablet with a generic name was cost say one pound for 30. And if you had a small white tablet with the brand name on it, exactly the same drug inside it, it costs 45 times that, so 45 pounds a month rather than one pound. And I think we probably do have a duty to use the budget in the NHS as effectively as we can. That's certainly in the duties of a doctor. It may not, you know, I think it's probably in the duties of every clinician to be just about sensible use of money. Yeah, I, I, was, I was smiling then, Steve, because I was thinking about when we gave out loads and loads of the sugar-coated prednisolone no more beneficial to people than the normal. And the controversy they had and the problems we had with people trying to convince them that they didn't need the red ones, the white ones would work just as well for them. Yeah, despite the fact there was good evidence that a lot of the red ones weren't absorbed, the there was yeah, erratic yeah, absorption yeah. with that dose. Yeah. Um, but patients liked them and clinicians believed in them for many years. So, yes, we do have to be careful about how we, we are uh, influenced by fashion well i think we're all influenced aren't they i mean i mean i'm influenced by adverts you know it's it's the yes but but that's how we are okay and final controversial thing just to think through should everybody who initiates prescriptions and reviews prescriptions of people using an inhaler have some kind of training that is updated so that they are actually competent in doing it I probably stand out on this, but I think people should. I don't think that we should be initiating something that is life altering and life changing and probably life saving to people if we don't know what we're doing. And there are issues that if you defer that responsibility to somebody else, you've still made the initial decision and that may sway the person you deferred it to, to try and adapt the person to the inhaler rather than the inhaler to the person. And I think that's an important distinction. So we can defer responsibility, but we also then have to have the ability to change what's been done. So you might prescribe something, send off to the nurse, nurse looks at it and thinks that's not right. So it might be another prescription, hence a wasted prescription. So less effective in terms of cost and, and everything else. Or she might think, well, you know, Dr. Dr. Holmes has prescribed that. He knows all about asthma or COPD. Therefore I've got to make it right for the patient. So, so, 
I, I do think that we have a responsibility as an initiator and also then as a reviewer down the line. And I think we phrase that quite carefully, initiated, initiator and reviewer of prescriptions, because we, we know that a lot of the prescriptions are on repeat, um, often signed by general practitioners who probably don't know how to use that inhaler, but have to rely on the initiator's competence and the reviewer's competence to demonstrate that that's happening. And I would agree with you. I think, I think we should be encouraging people like we do in many walks of, and, and areas of clinical practice to be competent if they are starting these sort of inhalers off. I think the only challenge is um, acute presentations in the evening when the usual perhaps practice nurse in the practice or specialist nurse if you're in A&E isn't available. And I, and I suspect we've got to be a little bit more pragmatic for that acute first initiation, but need to set in systems to, to protect that. Absolutely. And, and you know, that we, we have to remember that inhalers are used in a lot of different settings as well, in custody suites, in prisons, in homes. You know, there's a huge responsibility of trying to get it right. So another big challenge in the respiratory world that we're not going to solve today or tomorrow, but we can work on over the next few years to try and make sure to get that right. We'll keep plugging away. And finally, is there like to be a specific module that people can do if they wanted to that's online or that is in some sort of way that, that could say, I, I can actually demonstrate my competence? Thinking about if I'm a clinical lead in an area, is there something I could recommend all, my, all the practice nurses, A&E nurses initiating that and uh, ward-based nurses in a hospital setting could get up to speed with? Yeah, I don't think there's anything, there's a lot of ideas floating around and I know through UKIG, um, you know, things have been on hold in the last sort of 18 months, but we've always, always been keen to develop that brief intervention, inhaler, check-in but as you know you know you can pass a course doesn't mean you're competent yeah and, and I guess my other thought is can we learn how to use something by watching it online I think if we expect if we expect patients to learn by watching things online from the ASME UK videos you know the the right breathe videos there's lots of things out there so if we're expecting that a person can learn from that with people as well so we can learn still. That's brilliant. I'm delighted that I've got a chance still. <laughs> Jane, thank you so, so much. And I really hope that the UK Inhaler Group keeps going from strength to strength and we can improve things dramatically. Steve, thank you so much for talking to me. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe for future podcasts. Goodbye.